I'm Curry Bradshaw. Amongst the many things we have in common as humans, I believe accountability for our flaws are the one thing we can all work on. But schools don't really teach us how to deal with our flaws. We've all done that thing that we weren't so proud of, so why not talk about it? In order to accept the shitty sides of ourselves, be accountable for our actions, and mature emotionally for the future. Let's rip the bad day together. This is Show Me Your Ugly. Today I'm speaking with Megan. She's a 28-year-old writer and journalist living in Toronto, and we sit down to talk about why she was never sober. Megan drank through most of her formative years and knew something had to change. That's what made it really real for me was, you know, waking up and being so hungover or coming down off drugs and just being in this cycle of high drunk, coming down, hungover, repeat all the Mm -hmm. time. Her father was the first person to confront her. Just He was like, Megan, um, do you drink alone? And I was like, no, I was literally doing that. Her alcoholism and drug abuse often left her blacking out. Like the amount of cab rides that I don't remember and like getting into my apartment is is terrifying. But she told herself that it was normal until... My drinking got really bad when I moved to Korea. So bad that she even broke into a store for literally no reason while under the influence. And I eventually turned myself in and, and have a criminal record there now. And guess what? It still didn't register. Mostly because the society we live in normalizes drinking on the regs. I never once asked myself, like, am I drinking too much? But things changed for the better. She took her sobriety into her own hands, and in retrospect, she realized that in our society... Alcohol is a crutch. Let's get right into it. This is why I was never sober. Tell me, Megan, why were you never sober? It's a long story. (laughs) Um, So I... I started struggling with um, like progressive um, addiction like 10 years ago, Um, but I only kind of just, I mean, a year and a half ago realized that it was really impacting my life. Um, I've been trying to like unpack why exactly I was, you know, drawn to using substances to, to like feel, fill a void of some kind. And I I think that for me, addiction is so connected to my relationship with my body and wanting to feel disconnected almost because it was really painful to have to understand like why I felt so garbage in my skin (laughs) or, you know what I mean? Like I, I really struggled with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the long and short of it actually. (laughs) So was there like a moment that it happened? Like, were were you like blackout drunk? Were you like, was it alcohol specific? Was Mm -hmm. it other substances? Like, how did you know? Mm -hmm. Well, the first time I ever got drunk, I got blackout drunk. And from that point on, Mm -hmm. I drank to blackout all the time. Um, There was no like, in retrospect, like looking back 2020, (laughs) 2020 vision, um, (laughs) I, I think I from the very beginning, I had like an addictive, a tendency to, I mean, I was addicted to everything like food, um, relationships, alcohol, drugs, but I guess you ask how, when did I know that it was a problem? I think from, for me, like knowing it was a problem, it was like a life or death, death kind of thing. I started using drugs like party drugs quite Um, addictively when I moved to Toronto three years ago and it was it's a lot it feels a lot more real when you're using drugs versus alcohol because um, alcohol abuse is so common Mm -hmm. and we don't 
I mean, everybody I know drinks in excess. Right. Um, but when I started using drugs, it was really scary. Like I started feeling like, um, I know people who've overdosed. I know I've seen it and that could be me. And it, that's what made it really real for me was, you know, waking up and being so hungover or coming down off drugs and just being in this cycle of high drunk coming down hungover repeat all the Mm -hmm. time. I was just really consumed with, with like needing to, to be out of my body. Is there a point where your friends or family started noticing like, Hey, this is a problem. Did anyone bring it to your attention? My dad did. So I remember it was two Christmases ago, I was drinking and, um, over Christmas break and my dad came into the room and sat down and you know, like when your dad just like comes by and like sits down with you, you're like, okay, something, so something's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said, um, just, he was like, Megan, um, do you drink alone? And I was like, no, I was literally doing that you know, like in that moment. Oh. And I just was my like reflex to be like, no, I don't. Cause I knew then that I had a problem and I was feeling defensive, but you know, none of my friends ever said anything. Even mm. when I would, you know, I would get drunk and say like, I have a problem. I'd be like, I drink too much. And they'd be like, no, you don't like, mm-hmm. you're just fun. And like, that's just how you let loose. Why were you never sober? So I had a similar experience in terms of friends not really saying anything. So Mm. my experience was more with alcohol, I would Mm. say. I grew up really Muslim and my parents were really strict and alcohol was never like in our world. Mm. And which is ironic because it was in our world, but hidden. So my dad would drink. So we saw that kind of alcoholism there. And then when I kind of left home, I ran away from home. And when that happened, a bunch of experiences happened kind of at the same time. So Mm -hmm. like me experiencing, you know, going from being really sheltered to suddenly like experiencing like a lot of freedom. And one of the ways to do that and to integrate so-called into society was drinking. That's something that I noticed whenever I'd go to weddings or whenever I'd go to like office um, holiday parties or whatever, I would Mm -hmm. never be able to drink. Mm -hmm. And so when you cross the other side, that's all you want to do. You want to yeah. do the things that you were never allowed to do, right? So I basically was drinking to a point similar to you in a way, like to a point where I was blackout. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that kind of scares me a little bit. Um, and I think it got brought to my attention with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, when we had f- first started dating, I was I was going to school at Humber and we had a couple of like house parties with like classmates and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember smoking weed mm-hmm. and uh, at the party, I just kept pouring myself drinks. And I don't know when it went from just me being high and like, you know, feeling everyone in the room to like mm-hmm. not feeling anything and suddenly being on the bathroom floor. Yeah. And it is so embarrassing when you, you can't even move or you're mm-hmm. like, your friends are like holding your hair and you're like trying to puke and all this stuff. And then they're trying to go through your phone and like mm-hmm. call the closest person to you, you know? Yeah. And, um, at that time, my boyfriend and I were fairly new in a relationship. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's, it's like a really, 
it was really good in a way because my friends were not really saying anything similar to yours because mm-hmm. everyone's kind of drinking excessively right. and no yeah. one thinks that it's a problem and there's no real no one ever really talks about a line like no. what is the line anyway yeah. like no one tells you that right so they're just like no just get shit face just like keep drinking it's mm-hmm. it's fun it's the holidays celebrate whatever. yeah exactly right it's always a celebration and so yeah. it was to a point so that night my friends found my boyfriend's number called him i was so wasted that my friends were like carrying me out of the car you know to mm-hmm. my doorstep and then he met me at the doorstep mm-hmm. and he was just watching this situation being like who am I with right now? Like he yeah. didn't know who I was because he hadn't met that version of me yet. He'd never seen you. No, not, yeah. I mean, he's seen me. But not that. Not like that. Yeah. 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 So, and then, you know, he took me upstairs to my bedroom and he was just like, what was that? And I was just like, what do you mean? I was just like drinking and having fun. And mm-hmm. he's just like, yeah, but there's there are limits. Like, do you know what your limits are? And mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> I was literally like, what what's the limit what the, the limit, limit does not exist <laughs> exactly i was yeah. like what do you mean and he's mm-hmm. just like no everyone has a limit and everyone knows what their limits are yeah. and i was like oh like it just hit me and i think where it hit me where this is not okay is mm-hmm. he asked if he should he should stay with me and i said no just leave mm-hmm. because like i didn't know I've never been in that situation before of like mm-hmm. the confrontation of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like stay with you in that moment or like in general? In that moment. In that moment. Because okay. I was so embarrassed. So, yeah. And like I actually didn't know. I felt like I was being accused also. So like yeah. I was also being defensive. Mm-hmm. And like that was my defense me- mechanism. Like leave. I can handle it. Like I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. And then the next day was when we had like the real conversation when I was like sobered up. Mm-hmm. And he's just like we need to have a conversation about this because this has happened three times now yeah. and I'm getting concerned for you. Mm-hmm. And now it's come to a point where it's like, okay, now I know what my limits are. Now mm-hmm. I pay attention when I'm outside, you know, if I'm smoking, then how much do I smoke versus how much do I drink? Like just know yeah. yourself pretty much. Yeah. It's quite a shock to kind of have the mirror turned on yourself a little. It is. Especially it's when someone who loves you is, is seeing it and it's like, they see something in you and you're like, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. I think it hit me when he made a comment and I was at first kind of offended, but then I really understood. Yeah. And the comment was, if you're blackout drunk and you don't know where you are, then I also don't know where you are. Mm-hmm. Then you're putting yourself in a position where you might be putting yourself in danger mm-hmm. right and I was like this isn't a movie like what are you talking about and then I was like wait a minute that is totally true like so if I, true. right like yeah. if, if you black out you don't remember what happened mm-hmm. you technically don't remember who was even there mm-hmm. it's and in the moment you have no inhibitions or like ability to like reason or exactly. be like I need to get out of this situation right yeah yeah totally so, oh my god did when you I- have moments like that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like the amount of cab rides that I don't remember and like getting into my apartment is, is terrifying. It's like this, the fear that you were describing where you're like, you had you could have been with anybody that you, you just don't know. Like my drinking got really bad when I moved to, to Korea because the, the drinking culture there is very oh like, God, yeah. I think everyone hears of like Korean drinking culture is huge. Right. Um, and it's so accessible. It's so affordable that like, there's nothing really kind of holding you back from, from buying it. Okay. And one experience that, you know, I just got absolutely hammered one night with a guy I was seeing at the time and 
like I have this, when I drink, I have this like need for, for chaos. And just like, it's almost like a, a child having a temper tantrum. You just have this, this like anger or like sadness or whatever it is. And you just have to like, let it out. And for some reason we were walking by this cafe and we entered it illegally. Mm-hmm. And for no reason at all, I mean, no reason other than to like, just like feel something. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. And I eventually turned myself in and in Korea and have a criminal record there now. And it's like, I know I rarely say this because it's such a point of shame for me. Not only like, why the hell did I do that? Like, there's no, it doesn't even seemingly have like, there's no point. Um, And also like being in another country and being so disrespectful. It's like such a, such a huge like mark on my life that Mm I, even that I never once asked myself, like, am I drinking too much? Mm -hmm. The question was, what did I drink? Okay. Can't drink that again. Who was I with? Can't be with those people again. It was never, I have a problem right? (laughs) and it makes me act out that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I've just been following you on social media and we follow each other on social media that I actually had you in mind for Mm. this particular podcast. And the reason is because you wrote an article about Mm. your experience of admitting this ugly of of part of yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And you've been sober for for how long now? Two years. Okay, great. That's awesome. Yeah, it feels good. Congratulations. Thank you. So what made you as, you know, as a journalist, as a writer, Mm -hmm. um, feel the need to share that story? I think um, women particularly don't talk enough about these kinds of struggles. So I felt the need to write that for a kind of selfish way in the beginning, it was really therapeutic for me to to sit there and write down like everything that I went through and and how I overcame it. Um, And it was also, it felt safe in a way, even though you're like, okay, however many people are gonna be reading it, Mm -hmm. it's not a conversation. It's I have control over over what I'm sharing. Right. Um, And I also felt it was really important for me for accountability and for other people to, to say this is there's this woman who on the surface doesn't look like she would have a problem with drugs and alcohol and she right. does yeah. and she still had a job still had an apartment still had family and friends and like didn't lose everything it's mm-hmm. not the typical image of of an addict right right someone who struggles with addiction rather than addict but and I felt that was really important to to share to so people could maybe look at themselves and say I'm I may not be, you know, quote unquote, bad enough, but I deserve a chance to, to start over. And I, and I got a lot of great feedback from people saying, I drink like that. And like, that's how my life looks and I don't want it. And it's okay to, to mess up and, Mm -hmm. and, and start over. Like you can stop drinking. Like it's, it's It's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's simple and it's hard. For people who don't necessarily understand addiction, how would you describe it to someone? Addiction to me, whether it's to, you know, exercise, food, alcohol, drugs, whatever, what mm-hmm. have you, mm-hmm. um, it's something that you do compulsively to make yourself feel better that has a negative impact. Because obviously there are things, habits that you have, I'm sure that like make you feel better and are perfectly healthy and and quote unquote normal. Yeah. Um, but that I think would be like the yeah the description. Yeah. It's like the, the, <laughs> a pretty simple description pretty simple. to explain. Yeah. Addiction. Yeah. It's yeah. very true. 
-hmm. So um, for people who are maybe facing those kinds of situations right now, and they're looking for the light sort of at the end of the tunnel, what would you, what advice would you give to them? So for me, when I realized that I was struggling, I reached out to someone who I knew was sober, mm -hmm. um, intentionally sober, and she introduced me to 12-step programs. And so I, I started going to 12-step meetings, um, like Alcoholics Anonymous mm -hmm. is the one I went to. Um, yeah. So for someone who like, I never went through that process, mm -hmm. I kind of had a sort of a confrontation. And then yeah. once the confrontation happened, I just kind of cleaned up my act. But yeah. it's not so simple for some for other people. What yeah. is the process of actually reaching out? Is there like a website? Mm -hmm. Do you just show up? Do you You can show up there? Okay. So there's a website. Um, I think it's gtaa.com. And you can, you know, type in your address, and it'll show you like the nearest meeting and like, all of the meetings in Toronto and there's so many and there's also other options too like smart recovery um, which is more of a harm reduction approach so okay. whereas AA is abstinence I mean there are of course there's ways you can get sober without a program I just was really desperate and I needed yeah. like somewhere to be on a Friday and a Saturday to Sunday night right like for me I would go to like nine o'clock or eight o'clock meetings because I was like okay I'm going out doing right. a thing with people and going back home. Right. Um, but it was really hard at first. It's a lot of anxiety because you're walking into a room of people who like know who you are already right. when you, before you've met them. Right. Yeah, that's true. But there's also a lot of safety in that. So you can check on the website for like whatever meeting is near you and you can show up and mm. you don't have to even be sober. Wow. You can have had a drink before going. Interesting. Yeah. And so your first day at a how mm. was that so the first time I ever went I was really hungover I was like eight in the morning because mm. that was when my friend could go with me um and I didn't really connect at all I kind of was still on the fence of wh whether or not I had a problem that needed you know a program right and I kept drinking for like five months after that and then I went back um with the support of of a different friend who was whose partner was sober. Mm -hmm. um, and he was one of the people that I would always like, you know, call drunk being like, I keep fucking up. Like I can't do it on my own, mm -hmm. but I'm too scared to get help. And so I started going more after um, getting his support as well. But I never, I always felt really anxious going because part of you like doesn't, you don't want to stop because you think your whole life is going to change and like you're not going to have fun anymore and all your friends are going to ditch you. But I have found the opposite. Right. This happens. I definitely had, to, there are a couple people that kind of fell off okay. um, at the end, but it was just because you, I was reflecting and I was like, our relationship was based off of like being drinking buddies and right. was never really like a relationship built off of like genuine, like trust and camaraderie. <laughs> Sounds yeah, like yeah. an old boomer <laughs> word. <laughs> I know what you um, mean though. Like it's just the basic needs of like friendship yeah, yeah exactly like being able to confide in each other right. you're not always drinking together yeah but surprisingly the you know the one friend um when I was really like partying um I it was with her and she's still like one of my best friends people will surprise you I think like the best advice is to not be afraid of that happening because your life does get so much better right it's hard at first really awful at first but it gets better it gets better <laughs> <laughs> What about it is awful? Is it is it the losing mm. friends? Is it the the um, fear of like not being fun anymore? Is it for me? It was really like getting to know myself. That's really scary mm. because if you've been drinking, I mean, I drank through all my formative years, so right. I feel like I didn't really know myself, and I didn't 
understand why I was so drawn to getting plastered all the time. Like, why was I doing that? I had no idea. And mm-hmm. so the, the first year is really just don't drink every 24 hours. Don't drink. The second year is, you know, when you start really working on like why you drank and like, mm-hmm. what were you trying to forget or heal or fill? Um, but for me, like the hard, the first month it was like withdrawal was terrible. Like I felt so sick all the time. And that's something people don't tell you. You think you only have withdrawal if you're like drinking a bottle of vodka every day, mm-hmm. but you can have withdrawal even if you're a binge drinker on the weekend. Okay. That's um, important to know. Yeah. yeah and people lot, don't know that. know that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really emotional. It's like a lot of your brain's like rewiring and like figuring out how to deal with, you know, if you're, if you go outside and you, you're triggered by something, um, I would have drank, but now it's like, I have to deal with, with that trigger and like whatever my emotions are yeah you so. have to like actually be present yeah because I you know when you're uh, using substances to, or alcohol to like um you're technically kind of numbing the pain yeah right? and absolutely. so when you're approaching sobriety mm-hmm. I can only imagine like you're you're now that mirror is being held to your face it's like mm-hmm. who am I you have to be there and you have to be present and deal with those things so yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. and it's so hard to just like when you don't have something that like gets you out of it like I think runners you know they're running and like that's their way healthier way of getting out of their head but if you just had drinking it's like what do you do with this feeling and the energy and like you know yeah when you were in AA did you find any commonality between you and other people yeah for sure and I I think that's one of the like biggest benefits of of going to a program is Mm -hmm. you hear people's stories and you see yourself in like a 75 year old dude that like you would have never met otherwise. And you're like, damn, I drink like that. Or you hear, you know, a story of like a woman who drank like one glass too many a night. And and you think like she can have a problem when she's, you don't consider it as bad as, you know, another person, but the problem is like you decide when it's too much for yourself. Right. Like you set your own bar, I guess. Yeah. I think that's kind Mm -hmm. of what my boyfriend kind of told me without using the same words yeah but it was like what is that what's the threshold like you need to understand that Mm -hmm. so that you can monitor yourself better so I started going to parties and I would literally like write in my phone how many drinks I had Mm -hmm. and then if I were to smoke or take any kind of you know other substances I would pay attention to like what time it was and put Mm -hmm. that in my phone or I'd message my boyfriend and say hey I'm having this Mm -hmm. so it it becomes like an accountability buddy and yeah I did have to measure myself in a way like um but I wouldn't have done that if he didn't put that mirror to my face and I would I would imagine that AA was like that for you in a way yeah definitely like I did try and like moderate my drinking, but it just wasn't possible for me, but it's certainly possible for a lot of people to do that. Yeah. Um, it, for me, it was just like cold Turkey. Yeah. But that makes sense. Yeah. It's important to have someone who you feel responsible to, because like I was not responsible to myself. I didn't give a shit about, I had no like standard for myself. So if you have someone like a boyfriend or a sponsor or a sober friend, like who you are accountable to, like that's definitely an important like first step to have for For sure. sure. 
So uh, now that you you're almost two years sober, mm-hmm. how has life been for you? Like you know when you go to parties and people are like hammered, like how do you maintain yourself? Like what what are the strategies you use for yourself to like keep yourself mm-hmm. safe? Um and you know be in the world. So yeah, I still go out. I still go yeah. to parties and you know work functions and stuff. I always make sure that I have like a drink order in my head of what I want to order. Okay. Um, like a drink order to give to somebody so I'm prepared and I don't just like say an alcoholic beverage because you're so used to doing that right um if it's like a house party I always bring my own um fun drink because you don't just want to drink water like even soda water is great but like sometimes you want something a little more than that yeah yeah um, and just like check in with myself before, like, do I really want to go to this party? And like, why am I going to it? Like, what do mm. I want to get out of it? Like, I really sit with myself and like meditate or whatever. And if I don't want to go, like I, I don't go. Right. And I don't really have FOMO anymore, which yeah. is like pretty sweet. That's that pretty sucks. Awesome. I hate pe- like feeling like you're missing out on something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great place to be in. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy for you. Thanks. Yeah. But definitely like relationships have gotten so much better better really eh? yeah I've just been able to like be in touch with my body more and mm-hmm. like it just feels like a lot more authentic and dating is hard though when you don't drink because everyone's like let's go for drinks and you're like I don't drink right and they're like oh well I thought we were gonna like hook up or something you're like well I don't have to drink to hook up anymore. right yeah and you realize people really like alcohol is a crutch yeah. for people when it comes to sex the conversation around it too like uh which we kind of touched on earlier but like it's not only that it's also like a crutch for a lot of people but it's the way people talk about it is mm-hmm. is also like that like it's very it's also normalized yeah like i'll oh, just have a drink everything will be fine or yeah. like let's drink i need a drink like, how often do you hear that at the end yeah. of a work day or something exactly right yeah. so it is something that's a mental thing and it's a societal thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think power to you if you can like come overcome some an experience like that where you've mm-hmm. used alcohol or drugs to like, you know, numb the pain for whatever experience you were trying to avoid, mm-hmm. let's just say, because I think that is ultimately for sure. what it is. It is avoidance. You're mm-hmm. avoiding something, you know. You know, if I'm at a party and someone offers me more than more than I can handle, mm-hmm. because now I know what the threshold yeah, is. Yeah, you have got your threshold. I'll be like, no, I'm, I'm good. And you that's know? such a valuable <laughs> lesson to have. Like, you don't have to be sober to like be in a healthy place at all. Like, I definitely totally, right. like. I know a lot of people who who ha- know their threshold, who've hit, gone beyond it, and been like, never, I'm never doing that again. Right, and right. that's totally fine. Right, because yeah. it's different for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a very uh, deep conversation to have, and it's mm-hmm. very personal and, and vulnerable. So I really appreciate you coming down and sharing your story. Thanks. Thanks for holding space. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so glad I got to finally meet you. I know, you too. <laughs> Instagram so, friends. Instagram friends. And now it's real life. Yeah. Now it's real life. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Megan. Thanks. This is Curry Bradshaw. You've been listening to Show Me Your Ugly. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, comment, and review this podcast wherever you listen. You can follow my other projects on currybradshaw.com. See you next week, and thanks for tuning in. Peace.